Welcome back to season four of the Disciples Made podcast, six trends that are the least likely yet most necessary trends we must see in disciple making over the next 10 years. My name is Brian Phipps, founder of Disciples Made, and I'll be your host for this season. The topics we are discussing this season are critical, which is why we're asking some of the world's most effective disciple makers to join in to the conversation. And it's our hope that you're going to do something more than just listen to these podcasts. We hope you will hear them and then pray and discern what next steps you and your team, if you have one, need to take in order to help bring these trends into a reality. With that said, let's get ready for the next conversation. I've been looking forward to this fifth trend in this season. And this trend is unity and mission becoming greater than theological diversity. And in fact, we're going to add another word there, theological diversity or opposition. What is theological diversity or theological opposition? Let me start by saying this. Studying theology is a rich pursuit that has changed my life. I'm passionate about my perspectives because those perspectives have changed how I pursue and relate to Jesus. My life is marked by many late night conversations with others like me in order to become sharper followers and more effective leaders. But here's the issue with theological diversity, particularly when it moves into theological opposition. There's issues that come up when we start to make theological distinctives the primary alignment tool for our mission partnerships. It's almost as if theology and the differentiators between different people theologically become the primary alignment tool instead of the mission becoming the main objective and allowing theology to support us and sharpen us in that ministry. Unity and mission means making the mission of Jesus the number one alignment priority and allowing theology to become an asset to fuel us as followers of Jesus and as leaders in his kingdom. I am very, very fortunate to have many relationships with people that I share a theological diversity with, but we are aligned in mission together and we become better in that way. I look forward to hearing what the others have to say. Let's tune in. Our conversation is going strong, so I'm glad to welcome all you folks that are joining us now on the podcast. We have such a delightful morning uh, ahead for you, even if it's not morning where you are. Uh, we're welcoming back Carrie Latticer. Carrie, thanks for being back, and Kevin Harris. You guys have been very consistent on this on this season of the of the podcast. We're grateful for you, and we welcome two uh, extraordinary guests. The first is a longtime friend of mine, uh, Dan Sutherland. Going to ask him to introduce himself in a minute. And the second one is a last minute. Uh, jump on. You probably know this guy. His name is J.D. Greer. J.D. is just so grateful. So Dan, take a minute, and if you would, just kind of tell us the ministry that you're part of and, and why you chose to hang out on this podcast with us today. Thanks, Brian. It's an honor to be with you all. Um, I'm a serial church planter. I planted my first church at age 18. I'm 65 now. I am part of Restore Community Church here in Kansas City. Um, where we have set a goal to plant 50 macro churches and 100 micro churches in the next five years. And that's my job. And I'm here because I have I love Brian Phipps and he has dirt on me. And when he says, you got to do this, you got to do it. But mostly I'm here to hear JD. So this is going to be fun. I love it. JD, how about yourself, man? Well, I, my name is J.D. Greer. I'm pastor of the Summit Church. I wasn't man enough to church plant. It was uh, an existing church that uh, we revitalized, and 20-some um, years into that, um, we have a, a church planting. We feel like that's probably at the core of um, who we are, just raising up leaders in church planting. God gave our church the vision of planting 1,000 churches in our generation. Out of our church, um, we just launched number 482. Um, that is uh, just gotten started, so we're um, pretty far along in that goal. Um, I have worked with uh, a small, peaceful, 
um, harmonious tribe of, of churches called the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, I was uh, involved leading them for a while. Um, I'm actually just rolled out of that. Um, now I work with I'm a work with the North American Mission Board, um, helping them you know catalyze church planning with what they call the Send Network. Um, why am I on here? I'm on here for two reasons. One, I love the topic. I love what you guys are doing. Um, so I'm, I'm really honored to to be included in this. Um, Dan has been. This is not the Mutual Admiration Society, but Dan's been a hero of mine for a long time uh, since. He took time out of a, a very successful church to come over and just spend some time with me and some friends mentoring us. Um, so that's one reason. Um, the other reason I'm here is uh, Carrie called me about you know less than an hour ago, and um, I, I feel like I I'm, it's always good with Carrie to be in a position where she feels indebted to me, uh, and so I feel like I, I've, I've been in the deficit with her for a while, so this was a way to get back in the positive. Carrie, obviously that requires a rebuttal. So uh, before we move into the topic, is there anything? I'm about one of the other debaters, so you have to respond. <laughs> what I really wanted to say is I'm not man enough to do anything here on this call. <laughs> and also, I was so happy to steward those trips on behalf of this podcast because this has been fun, and I think it's going to be a tremendous resource for churches. And so I was glad to cash in my chips for this, Brian. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Carrie. It has been fun. It has been meaningful, and I hope it stimulates some pretty significant conversations. As you know, we're talking about the six least likely but most necessary trends that we need to see in disciple making, and I hope that title has been provocative. They need to happen, but they probably won't, and there's reasons that they probably won't, but we can't stop with that. We have to push in uh, into that, and so today's big trend that we're talking about is we need to see unity and mission somehow retake um, the stage from uh, what we initially called theological diversity. And I'm changing the name, like calling an audible. Theological diversity is great. Political diversity is great. Those aren't the problem. It's more like it's theological and political opposition. The, the middle has been lost and we're uh, growing further and further to sides and the mission therefore and the impact of what we can do together is being lost and so i just want to start going around the room and asking is this a top 10 most necessary uh trend that we must see carrie we'll start with you start with the smartest and then work you know down here I feel like this. some of this has been a, a little bit of a theme through a lot of these conversations, Brian, but this idea of being able to engage with people we may not endorse, right, or find unity, not uh, uniformity, which is probably how some of us have looked at what unity actually means, is uniformity is we are in full agreement and we are in full alignment. If we can find unity in mission, and then have lots of latitude and uniformity. I actually need the diversity of the people on this call to shape my understanding and impression of mission and of the gospel. So I, I would say maybe this is number one in our time is figuring out how do we get back to that place of unity instead of uniformity and engage with people we might not endorse. That's awesome. That Yeah, I agree. Okay, JD, what do you think? Is this top 10? Yes or no? And why? Well, I would probably need to hear the other uh, other nine things I'm pitting it against, but I would say um, this might, I would say this is probably one of the biggest questions facing the church right now coming out of 2020. Um, you know, I saw a recent survey that said the number one concern among pastors, number one is church unity. And that church unity extends to, you know, kind of network unity. I think there's two sides of this we can go wrong on. Um, one, Carrie already mentioned the kind of mistaking uniformity for unity. Um, the other side is when there's not that, you know, core set of beliefs that give you an identity that's worth uniting for admission, um, you know, different levels of cooperation call for different kinds of ecumenism. Um, and so the kind of ecumenism that is appropriate on a church staff is different than what's appropriate in a network like this one. And so there are people that I'm glad to be friends with, I learn from, but I, I could never hire them at our church. I can never plant the, you know, them as a church. And I think having that is, is healthy. Um, I hope that there is always in my life a, a group of people that we agree on the gospel, we agree on the ancient things of the faith, but we're, we're challenging each other to say, hey, you're, some of the greatest things that I've learned, I have learned from people that I just did not agree with on something that relatively important. I don't mean the gospel's essential, but, but something important. And so I, I think getting the right balance is, is, is crucial in this. Such a helpful framework. Thank you for that, J.D. Kevin, uh, what would you add? And then, Dan, we'll go to you. 
Yes, um, I have no letters behind my name. Um, I don't. Need, I can't spell acum. I can't even say ecumenism, JD. Um, I was sprinkled as a Presbyterian. I was dunked as a Baptist at Guest Road Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, of all places, JD, right around the corner from you. Yeah. Um, so before I even remotely try to answer your question, Brian, you have made me so much better over these last six podcasts. The next one I haven't had yet, but you have made me better because you've caused me to think differently and, and open my mind to things. Carrie, you as well have just, it, it's been a gift to be a part of these conversations. Uh, I, I think it is a top issue because I do think um, I work with a lot of churches from a lot of different places and we start splitting hairs over a lot of stuff and it gets in the way of Jesus and making disciples. And it, yeah, I get sad when I hear quotes from people that say, man, I love your Jesus, but I don't like your church. I think that's really sad. And I think, um, so I just, I think it's really important. I'm just excited to sit back and listen and learn and expand my vocabulary and my knowledge. I love it. Dan, um, going to you, but I want to give you a little bit of an extra introduction. We've known each other for 18, 19 years, uh, worked with each other, uh, a good a good deal of that. And um, <clears throat> I remember there were three things that I said in my life. I will never again do youth ministry. I'll never work with middle school again. I'll never move to the Midwest and I'll never be caught dead leading a Baptist oh. church. And because uh, I'm more from the Reformed camp, Presbyterian. And, uh, and then I moved out to the Midwest to join Dan at a Baptist church, uh, kept my reform roots. Uh, Dan and I have had different uh, theological ideas. You're the ideal person for this. We have enjoyed one of the richest relationships I've experienced in my life, even though we are different uh, in some of these little nuances of theology. Uh, and it's been, it's been because we rally around mission. So Dan, is it a top 10? Uh, is it not? Why? Or why not? Appreciate all that, buddy. And back at you on the relationship. It's been, it's been awesome. Um, having a best friend like you is just crazy, crazy good. Uh, I am uh, slightly offended that you said you'd go from smartest down and I'm last. I appreciate, appreciate you getting that right. Um, I really do. I think it's absolutely a key issue. You spoke well when you said the middle has disappeared. And one of the things I'm learning is that unity does not mean uniformity and diversity does not mean division. We can learn to have unity in Christ. And for me, if we agree on who Jesus is and on what the Jesus mission is, I'm good. Uh, we can work through our theological differences. We may not be partners in everything, as J.D. shared, but we have got to learn to uh, quit throwing people away because they're not replicates of us theologically. I don't want a replicate of me theologically. If that's all we have in this world, we're extremely limited and probably way wrong on a lot of issues. The older I get, Brian, uh, the fewer there are the things that I'm certain about, but I'm more certain about those things. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this discussion. That is very well said. Carrie, we're going to come back to you and let's start to ask, like, what's in the way? What's causing this move away from unity because of these different opinions? What's causing that? So is this a least likely trend? Am I right in suggesting that? And if so, what's in the way? Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I will consistently go to what is our part to play, right? As pastors and church leaders, where have we done, like, fallen short of what this is? And I think in some ways, some of our denominationalism may have gotten us to this point, right? How much throughout our history, at least recent history in the church, have we split or divided over things that we said were way too important to stay in community or in unity because of? And so, I mean, I wonder if that's an unintentional consequence of even some of what we represent here. How are we modeling this? with leaders? I mean, it's interesting, even on a call like this, we have the space to model what it looks like to to come around mission, you know, you all said in different ways, you would serve with people, maybe, maybe be in community with them, maybe not hire them over some of these distinctions, but how are we modeling what it looks like to come together for the sake of unity? I think Exponential does this well. They have this kind of big tent 
right mindset of we don't have to be in alignment on some of these things. Uh, so I think we have perhaps created some of this unintentionally and we have some opportunity to disciple around it. Excellent. I love how you've gone to modeling because that's where everything starts. And I think that's been a theme on all, all the episodes. It's got to start with us. And that's one of the things we're trying to push. Like, how does it start with us? What are we doing? JD, how about you? Is this a least likely? Uh, and if so, why or why not? You know, I um, everybody speaks out of their own background, right? And so I, I, I feel like it's just maybe it's good to put some cards on the table. I was raised independent Baptist. And I don't know what your listeners understand about independent Baptist, but we would divide over everything. I mean, the, you know, the, the length of your skirt, if you're a, a, the kind of version of the Bible you read, I just independent Baptist. Um, then in God's grace, he gave me, <laughs> I married a Presbyterian. So I appreciated that five point Presbyterian. My roommate in college was a Pentecostal. I always say what that meant is I was predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. You put all that together. That was kind of where I was headed. But, um, you know, I uh, uh, quickly after I got out of college and I, I started to do stuff with the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, there was, a, I was a part of some global um, conversations um, early on where um, it was like the other side of this, where um, I'm just using an example. We had a, um, it was a, a, a global meeting of mission leaders, and they wanted to produce a statement, a unifying statement on evangelism in the 21st century. And um, so it was a five page document. And I read every word, there was not a single phrase in it about like faith in Jesus Christ being necessary for salvation, not one phrase. And um, it was all kinds of stuff in there about, I mean, essentially progressive uh, political talking points. That was basically, but I, in the discussion time, I was like, hey, I feel like we ought to have, you know, something in here that clarifies how does a person become a Christian if it's a statement, you know, on evangelism. And um, the response was, no, you know, that's theologically divisive, and we've got to stay away from, from that kind of, of thing. And we, th this is a sin against love for us to do something that would put out people that just have a problem with expressing it that way. Well, you know, at that point, um, you know, you, get, you got a pendulum going back and forth in my own life between seeing um, just, just division after division to, to this, th 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 there's no unifying structure. And like I said earlier, um, you know, how, how far you take those circles and what you're insisting on, um, it, it's hard for me to be a part of even a, any kind of um, uh, evangelistic thing where we're not agreed on the essence of the gospel. We may not say it all exactly with the same phrases, but we got to be there. Um, it's hard for me to be in a, a, a church, um, a, a, like a church planting network an official one where we don't agree on things like the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. Um, if we're going to plant churches, um, you know, out of the summit church, we're going to have to be agreed on things like church polity and, and, and some of our basic approaches. And so I think, you know, the scripture actually gives us a lot of instruction about this. And I think people are sometimes surprised by that. Um, but, you know, scripture, you see Paul on one hand, you know, talking about like, um, look, I'm, I'm, I have this conviction, Romans 14, I'm actually right. And if you disagree with me, you're weak in the faith, you know, I, but, but I'm not going to make that a defining issue in our church. You'll see him talking like that. And you also see him turning around saying, if you disagree with me on the gospel, then you are, I don't care if you're an angel, then, then, then you are not part of this and, and you're a curse. And I think, um, you know, as with all things, error error in this is often getting one side of the equation right without the other side. And so I think figuring this out in, in, in networks like um, the SIN network, like uh, what Carrie mentioned with exponential, you know, things like this, um, what is it that we need to unify at different levels um, to be able to, um, to go forward? If we're doing a, a pro-life march in, 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 in Raleigh here, then I can link arms with people of all you know, religions, but it just it depends on what we're doing as to what it calls for. So if I could summarize what you said there, J.D., it sounds as if one of the things that will keep it the least likely is if we can't determine what our fractals are. Mm. A fractal is a term that I've been that I've heard used recently. Rob Wagner uses it around here a lot. 
uh, with the Kansas City Underground. He's a part of uh, our team here at Disciples Made and quite often on these uh, podcasts. Uh, there's this central fractal. This is the thing that we rally around, like the Apostles' Creed is one of the most basic or the Lucene Creed. Um, you know, what are those things? And then, you know, different levels of partnership. So it sounds as if what you're saying is it is a least likely because those things aren't defined or perhaps they get identified too rigidly. Uh, okay. I just want to make sure I brought some clarity to that. Kevin, what would you, what would you add to this piece? Oh gosh. I don't know what I, what I would add. Um, I just think, I think part of what gets in the way of these really beautiful conversations is we oftentimes pick the wrong platforms to get into them. And so we'll jump on a, comment to a blog, a social media post, and and we talked about this in our last conversation. What's beautiful about this is when I look Dan or JD or Carrie in the eye, I just see another person that's beautifully made in God's image. And I can sort of at that point go, oh, I don't, you know, there's some things on, on, on this side of it that I may not totally agree on, but I I can sense a heart of who they are. I can sense how God's designed them and wired them. And that, to me, that just helps me lean in. A voice I've really listened to a lot around these issues is Scott Sauls out of um, out of Nashville. He's just written some really good books that around, you know, gentle answer and befriend and, and Jesus outside the lines. And he, he kind of just says, look, we, you know, if we as Jesus followers are compelled by grace and we're gospel grounded people, we should be the least offensive and the least offend, offended people in our polarized world. And that's, a, I didn't, I'm reading that as I say it, that's why it sounds a little butchered, but I just really like his voice around it. It's like, gosh, man, if we just, if we agree on, as Dan said, the gospel and Jesus, then we should not get so wrapped and warped around some of these issues that can, can just be so divisive. And if I can look in the eye and just, and know that you're made in the same image that I'm made in that God's designed us uniquely. We can, we can work through a lot of that. I just think we pick the wrong, the wrong venues sometimes to have these conversations. So. Yeah. The social media is probably not the place to, uh, <laughs> to jump on some of these. Dan, you have been a fount of wisdom my entire life. So uh, what are you thinking? What are you processing? I think we have to wrestle with this issue, Brian. Um, Like J.D., I grew up in a a very strict, um, independent Baptist home. And, um, you know, we we were fundamentalist. We were short on fun, long on damn, and not very mental. And, um... I've really spent my life trying to recover from some of that because it runs deep. Um, I'm still, you know, real big on if you love Jesus and want people to know him and I love Jesus and want people to know him, there is some circle in which we can work together. And I love JD's point that, you know, the tighter the circle, the tighter the structure, the more you have to have agreement, but, there are other structures and circles, you know, that, that work fine. Um, one of the friends I made here when I first came to Kansas City was the Catholic priest that's a mile from my house, leads the largest Catholic church in this area. He's no longer there, but the guy talked Jesus. I mean, he pointed people to Jesus. Now, did I agree with all the other pieces of what he did? Not necessarily. And he didn't ask me to. Um, but we had relationship because he loved Jesus and I love Jesus. And he pointed people to Jesus and I pointed people to Jesus. Now, could we work together on a church staff? No. Could we lead a church planning network together? No, but could I speak well of him and bless him and encourage people of Catholic background his way? Yeah, because he was going to tell them about Jesus every single week. So I'm trying to learn what, what circles are there and how much does that, you know, define the unity and, and to some extent the uniformity we have to have theologically what jd said has helped me a bunch good jd looks like you got something spinning in your mind what are you thinking yeah um yeah there's always something spinning it's whether or not it's helpful is that's a that's up for debate but i think you know for most most pastors um most church leaders 2020 was a pretty discouraging time uh 
this was our experience, and I, I, I've talked enough around it to know that it, it was a pretty common experience, that we experienced more church division in 2020 than we had in the 20 years prior to that combined. And what was revealed is that for a lot of our people, um, their primary identity was not Jesus. It was something else and a particular approach to the election, to, you know, a protest, things like Black Lives Matter and the best way to process that in the church. And, you know, I, I was constantly getting hit. I mean, literally in the same day, I would get letters from people that were both accusing me of being political on the other side. And really what they meant was, um, <laughs> I'm calling you political for not being political on my side. Because I kept like, look, you know, this is something that we are, pro we, we will talk about this, but it's something the church, I'm either called nor competent to jump into certain questions and put the name of the Lord behind it. I, I've got an opinion and I've got a perspective. I think it's an informed one, but I've got to be very careful what I tie thus says the Lord to. And anything that comes out of our pulpit, even if I precede it with, it's just my opinion, gets translated as this is what this is a first order issue. And so, um, you know, by trying to talk about these things with the kind of restraint that I think we have to, to show, like I think Paul would show, um, you had people that that just said, I, I'm canceling my church membership. And I told them, I'm like, you know, it's ironic that for a conservative Christian culture that says they hate cancel culture so much, how quickly we will cancel our church over something that in light of eternity is really, really secondary. Of course, it's not a surprise because, you know, our people get discipled by us one hour a week and they get discipled by, uh, you know, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow for three hours every night. And so, yes, it's not surprising to me that they're bringing it really division comes when you're, when, when there's something on a primary issue. And I think for many of our people in evangelical churches, it's the problem is not what they think about these issues. The problem is the gravitas that they hold them with, that they become something that is larger to them than their identity in Christ and the, and, and the gospel. If you have been listening to all the episodes in this season, that word identity has found its way into the conversation every single week. If you haven't, go back and check that out. It's amazing how an identity in Christ can center you in a place that doesn't throw you on either side of a number of these uh, trends. So thank you for that. That's that's so helpful. Um, we're going to turn to the question of you know what is your what are you in your ministry doing to help this become a reality? But I want to I felt feel prompted to just kind of share an experience I had in the third year of seminary, which has created this tension between. I want to be theologically accurate, and I want to be theopractically effective. <laughs> I want to be, you know, biblically uh, uh, faithful, and I want to be missionally faithful, and and all these things. And here's the two things that happened my senior year, uh, my third year of seminary. I actually had um, the y'all familiar with the ECT document? I know this is kind of last minute, but it was kind of the document. I thought that's where you were going earlier, JD. That's what prompted this. It's the document that some evangelicals and Roman Catholics were trying to put together to say, what do we have in common? J.I. Packer was one of the leading uh, voices for the evangelical community. And um, I was at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, where R.C. Sproul was. And of course, D. James Kennedy uh, was down in uh, South Florida. Uh, at the time. And then, uh, gosh, he's the West Coast guy. Help me. This is sounding, I'm embarrassed. I can't think of his name. Um, preacher, expositional preacher from the West Coast. That's terrible. Anyway. John MacArthur. I'm not sure if that's the one you're thinking. John MacArthur. Thank you. I mean, it was right here. I just couldn't, couldn't pull it up. Well, uh, basically the three of them kind of rallied together uh, in protest of this document. And I was outside the door of the conference room when R.C. Sproul confronted the uh, faculty at RTS and said, if RTS does not condemn this document, I'm going to leave. and I'm going to start uh, Knox Seminary. And that's in fact what happened. I, I watched all the guys come out of that room and I thought, this is, this is a moment. Uh, for me to learn from. And at the same time, I was reading the book Once in Future Church by Lauren Mead. I don't know if any of you have read that book uh, before or not, but basically his premise is in the next 30 years, and if that was 30 years ago, we're going to start to see some of the, um, the, the denominations start to crumble, the, the, the trend of, of the resources that they're going to have at their disposal, the trend of their authority uh, is just going to continue to crumble, and we're going to have to get back to the place where we find ourselves 
uh, focused on the main thing. So I had those two things happen. One, this extraordinary, you're outside of my ring. <laughs> and this, if we don't figure out where the real battle lines are right now, we're going to miss the big thing. And that has left a tension in my soul since that time in my third year of seminary. And so let's get real practical. We've kind of agreed, yeah, this is a biggie, if not top 10. Yeah, there's some significant challenges to this. What is it now? Let's spend the last kind of 20 minutes or so asking, what are you and your ministry doing to help this trend become a reality? Carrie, let's go back to you. Yeah, well, I'm hearing a couple of things being said here, right? We talked about modeling this and we talked about how the church got here, but also how we are forming our people to un even understand what is most important and, you know, what are the essentials and what are the non-essentials. And so we're trying to be really intentional about the person and the practices and the presence of Jesus. Like, how do we focus on partnering with him and his kingdom? So we're really practically with our teaching team, we've done a lot of work to even craft what is our theological foundation for how we approach this? What does it look like for us to be implicitly and explicitly drawing people yeah. closer, right, to, to the ways of Jesus and it's forming our discipleship? We talked about this a little bit in our last session, but even doing emotionally healthy spirituality work, right? Because there's a there's a piece of this where it's like, yes, what's the core that you need to believe to belong here? do you need to believe before you can belong here? So how are we equipping our people to model and live the ways of Jesus, even if the what isn't always right? How are we embodying that and then drawing people to the ways of Jesus? The missional question of this that we talk about with our leaders and with our staff is so much of how would the watching world ever feel safe in our churches or like we could accept them or love them when we can't even love one another and get along you know so what does it look like for me to have the emotional capacity to engage in a conversation with someone i don't agree with how are we discipling around that how are we making the main thing the actual main thing and then letting the non-essentials fall where they need to very very helpful thank you kevin what what is uh, Radical Mentoring and Kevin Harris in particular doing to help see this trend become a reality? Yeah, so we, we serve a lot of churches and we serve churches from various backgrounds and denominations. And, you know, our model is one that is really designed, you said, you said my favorite word of identity, it's really to help men and women understand um, who they are in Christ, how they see God, how God sees them, understanding some of these core issues. And the model we sort of put together says, you know, you get together and you read a book and you, you do some homework assignments and you're memorizing scripture and you're journeying together. And what we quickly came to realize is a book on my book shelf may um, not be the book that somebody else wants to read about an issue around prayer or other things. And so we've just decided to go, you know, we, we give all this away, we're donor funded. And so when you hold it like this, I can just say, hey, if you don't like, this is not about the books. If you don't like Andy Stanley, please just delete it and put J.D. Greer in there or Dan Sutherland, whoever, put anybody in there that, that speaks your language and speaks into the context and the culture of your church don't let a title of a book or an author be the thing that gets in the way of the experience. And Brian, it is so amazing when you hold it like this, it, it just gets in the hands of people and they understand that and they don't fight about it. And, and then I get to hear these amazing stories of life change that happen. And by the way, they never mention the title of a book. They never say, well, gosh, it was the book by this guy that changed my life. No, it's the fact you shared your stories. You did life deeply with people. You understood Jesus at a deeper level, and you came out of that on the other side. And, man, I don't want book titles to get in the way of any of that. And so we just told it this way and let it, let it go places and let God do, do the deep work as those things happen. 
I love it. Um, real quick, I'm going to go to Carrie because I know Carrie looks like she's got something on her mind. Um, but uh, and, and one of our experiences called Leaders Made, I believe if you want to be have spiritual influence, you have to have a measure of, of systematic theology or some type of theological construct to be able to understand the narrative of scripture and, and be responsible with it. Well, try to find a theology book that crosses <laughs> all kinds of denominations. That one's been a blast. Talk about a title. So Carrie, I'll toss it off to you. Uh, yeah, this just something that Kevin said reminded me of even like public discourse I've seen with authors like in Andy Stanley or J.D. Greer having conversations about different perspectives on the Old Testament, perhaps, or, you know, just there's lots of ways that we can approach this. But I think one of the trends we may not talk about, but that's really related to this is sort of how we view the role of authority, like our authority, and what it looks like to hold certainty with the things that really are important. And where can you have curiosity? on the things or not. Could JD and Andy Stanley both love Jesus and have different perspectives and still unify under Jesus, even if there is latitude and how they hold some of those things. So some of this is a trend and some of this is how we are formed to think about our roles as church leaders or as pastors or as disciples of Jesus. If I think my job is for you to be really clear on the what and hold that with certainty versus let me in the ways of Jesus invite you to curiosity and discovery. And there are some things that are really important tenants there, but my perspective is that some of those are more tradition than theology, and we have not clarified for people the difference between those. And so people hold tightly to tradition or uh, ideology instead of theology, just like JD said, what they're hearing on the news or what they perceive to be a Christian way that might be outside of what we would say is most important. Love it. Dan, you, um, you both are a part of a church. Uh, that is a tribe that has its own, you know, theological perspectives, and you coach just countless church planters all across uh, Kansas City from multiple tribes. What is it that you're doing in uh, both of those circumstances, or either one or the other, uh, to help make this trend become a reality? Um, I'm not doing enough. Let me start by saying that, but what we're, Blackaby wrecked me um, 30 years ago with his statement that you see what God is doing and where he's working and you join him. The cool thing in Kansas City is there is a God thing happening. There's a God thing happening in church planting. And for me, it's finding people who want to change the spiritual landscape of the city uh, by helping folks to hear, see, and experience the love of Christ. That's just foundational to me. And one of the things I'm learning, Brian, and when J.D. said earlier that 2020 had more division than the 20 years before it, yes. And as far as I can tell, 2021 is a duplicate of 2020. I can't see it letting up. I think one of the factors that, that's helping me find partners in ministry is this. We have a built-in need for passion. It's part of our identity. And the built-in need is to have a passion for Jesus and the Jesus mission. But if you don't have a passion for Jesus and the Jesus mission, you're going to have a passion for something. And what I'm seeing in this division is all these secondary and tertiary issues that we're having passion about, politics or a particular point of view or doing things a particular way. And what's, what's blessing me right now in Kansas City is there's a large number of people that are tired of secondary passions. Um, there are church planners and pastors here that are really, really trying um, to get back to let's work together to see the spiritual landscape of this city change. So I'm looking for those parts and uh, partnering with them at whatever level that I can. That's great. We've got a little side chat going on uh, about this uh conversation that JD and, and Andy had. Uh, we have to have the types of modeling where people really do seriously disagree, but really bring that disagreement into the proper uh, boundaries. So JD, the thrill of just having you on the call today is you have been, you were um, voted to fill a role in one of the Western world's largest organizations of religion over that 2020 year and the year prior, 
uh, where so many things came to the front and you probably spent your whole life on a tight wire in this whole unity, what's right thing. So I can't say that it's just at the summit. I can't say it's just the SBC. I can't say it's just JD Greer Ministries. So you tell me how you're helping make this happen in any of the, the venues that you have influence with. Yeah, you may be cheating the SBC like a, let's just say a microcosm of the larger body of Christ. Um, I think there was some issues that came to the surface over the last three years that um, really drove me to scripture and to ask the question, like, what does it mean to be faithful to scripture, to defend the faith delivered once for all the saints, and at the same time recognize that unity is not uniformity, as Carrie said earlier. Uh, I appreciate it, by the way, what Kevin said about the author's because the whole time I've been trying to zoom in on Carrie's thing and figure out what authors are back there, you know, to see how much I approve of and how much I disagree with. You ever notice when you do one of these interviews, I am constantly figuring out in the camera shot what, you know, I'm like, is the Joel Osteen book visible? Is is that a problem? Do I, do I if I put that next to a, a John MacArthur one, will that like even out the discussion? That's uh, what I do. I put the most compelling contrarians next to one another. <laughs> so if you really can zoom in, you'll be so impressed with how diverse my Perfect. That's why we love you, Carrie. Um, so, you know, um, using the SBC, um, you know, Jesus talked about um, the leaven of the Pharisees and, you know, that leaven uh, uh, yeast that ends up infecting the whole thing. And, you know, for, for those that know Southern Baptist history, and I would imagine most people don't, but, you know, the, there was a, a, a genuine problem with a growing, let's just call it a leaven of liberalism that was growing. Um, stories that I, I don't think any of our listeners would really be comfortable saying that's what's being taught in seminaries or from pulpits and doubting things in scripture and, um, you know, saying the apostle Paul was wrong here and all that. And it, it was a, it was, it was a problem. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I am involved with the SBC is there were some courageous men and women that said, that's not, we can't, we can't do that. We can't have a church planting organization like the SBC and, and not have those things clarified. Um, what happened is after there was a victory there, um, there was a total and complete blindness to the specific leaven Jesus was talking about, and that is the leaven of the Pharisees. And one of the characteristics were things like um, they teach us the commandments of men. They make them equate them with the commands of God. They strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What does that look like? You know, for the SBC, it looks like years of ignoring um, the legitimate voices and, and complaints and cries of our black brothers and sisters about injustice they're suffering, and then all of a sudden just blowing a gasket over, you know, CRT discussions and terms. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not a fan of CRT. I think there's a lot of issues. I think it needs to be, you know, subject to critique like anything else. But when you have you know, swallowed the camel of blindness to the suffering of brothers and sisters, it makes straining at other things, it makes it much less plausible. When we are unable to distinguish between primary, secondary, and tertiary doctrines and issues of faith, and we, we just conflate all of them, and we say that unless your church service looks like this, and unless your evangelism approach and your discussions about politics, unless it all looks like this, then you are not really you know, one of the one of the faithful. I am delighted to call fellow Baptists, um, you know, people that we disagree on on some things that I, they're important enough to me to make them issues at our church. But but we can still you know unify together. I'm delighted to be friends with people um, outside of Baptist world that um, you know, like I said earlier, we've got John Mark Comer here at our church this week, and John Mark Comer is. Of all things, he's not a Southern Baptist, I can assure you that, um, but he's a man who loves the gospel, he loves the mission, and, and there are things that, man, we've had a lot of spicy discussions this week on some different things, but there's a, 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 a love of the gospel and people and mission that I'm so greatly enriched uh, just from my, um, you know, my, my, my time with him, and I think it's, it is a, it, it, is it a discussion, Brian, I'm glad you're having it because it's, it's an idea whose time has come and I'm praying that God will, you know, the spirit brings unity in the church. And if he can guide us to, um, gospel faithfulness, um, I mean, again, to quote the cliche, you know, attributed to Augustine, unity, unity in essential things, liberty in secondary things, charity in all things. And I feel like the church will be a lot better for it. I love it. One of the things I love about what everybody has said so far is you are taking the conversation to the people that you don't necessarily agree with, and you're choosing to learn from it. 
And I think if we're all in the process of doing that and uh, following that kind of framework that you just mentioned, JD, it's going to be huge. Uh, what are the bright spots? You know, we've kind of gone through all of our questions, but what are the bright spots? Where do you see this happening that we can point people to? We mentioned the, the one conversation, but where are other conversations like this happening uh, that you know of that people should take note of? For me, I really am seeing a passion rising up both in churches and especially in church planters um, to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. There's, there's just kind of this common thread going out there right now. Now, I'm, I'm um, bright enough to realize that some denominations want to multiply churches because they're dying as denominations, and they think it's their only way out. But um, multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches is what it's about, and seeing people around the country, but particularly here in Kansas City, buy into that. Uh, at Restore, that is one of our statements. That's just what we do. We multiply, you know, disciples, leaders, and churches. So I, I think that's encouraging me, Brian. Maybe, um, I don't know if this is what you get at, Brian, but I uh, was just reminded while you were saying that of a story that uh, John Perkins, uh, he was at our church. John Perkins is the legendary civil rights leader, um, dates back to the original days of the civil rights, and just a beloved saint. Um, I mean, just been very helpful in the racial discussion, a man of peace. If there ever were um, a man, um, he's that. And um, I, I remember we were talking specifically about the racial diversification of our church. And I was talking about where I, I thought we would go and how it would happen and everything. And he just, you know, in a way that an 80 some year old saint can do, he just cut me off and said, no, no, no. He said, your church will, will probably not experience that. He said, your generation of churches will probably not experience that. He said, your children will experience that. He said, but don't, I'm not trying to downplay what your role is. He said, because they will experience that because of what you do right now. And I am taking sort of a long view in some of this sort of things that um, there were some arguments that I inherited from my parents. And some of them were good arguments, but my children and my generation, you know, our discussions are not the same. And I, I really feel like we're going to see the spirit of God create a new, a new type of unity around the gospel, and it may not be fully experienced in the, the Summit Church. It may be in the churches that Summit Church plants. Um, that's where our future is. It's one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of church planning. It's just that, that, is where, that is where the kingdom of God, I think, goes forward and multiplies generation to generation. You, get, you guys are much deeper in the trenches than I am at, at church level and church planting. I, I just sense generally a weariness of, of the fighting, a, that people are just getting tired of it. And I think we went through 2020 and we've kind of worked our way through 2021 today. And I, I just, and, and weariness, not in that they're throwing their hands up and going, I'm just, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm never going to have another conversation with that person ever again. But the, you know, in the circles I get to play in this, this being a new circle, but a fun one. It's just that idea of like, if, if we just don't start leaning in and majoring on the majors and, and we've all said it's Jesus and the gospel, then we're, it's just going to be a big distraction. And, it's, and I think people are tired of fighting about stuff. And so I just have hope around that. I have hope around conversations I've had with multicultural leaders that I've brought in that I've just kind of said, look, I, I just need to get, I, I want our ministry to get this right. Help me figure it out. And the, the receptivity to those conversations um, from the other side, which and I say that not from a butting heads, the other side, from the other side of the table to go, man, we just, we want you to get it right. Cause we know what you're doing matters. And if we can help you get a little closer to that, we want to get our hands dirty in that. And to me, that's just, that's the, the joy of kind of this season I find myself in. I love that work. Love it a lot. Carrie, we started with the brightest. We end with the brightest. <laughs> oh, we're done with that. What are you saying? And then we're done. Then we're done. Uh, I would echo everything that was said here. I think within church planting circles, I, I think the fact that we're having this conversation points me to the bright spot that there are so many pastors and denomination leaders and network leaders that recognize 
we have work to do here. So this is a topic of conversation around every table I sit at. I was just at a round table this week with a hundred leaders who are wrestling through what the future of this looks like. And um, I just want to end with one thought that is informing kind of how we even teach on this. The idea, you know, I went to seminary to further my education about the scriptures and to be a better teacher and a more effective pastor. And it struck me that nearly every passage, every conversation, every text, there were multiple perspectives on. And I think some of the job as primary communicator, teacher, preacher has been, let me tell you the way to see this. So one of the really small things I know a lot of pastors doing, here's the text, here's a perspective, here's what another scholar says. Isn't that interesting? They could have a different reflection on the same text. Those subtle ways that we're creating space for people to have to do what the Apostle Paul said, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. I think inviting people into wonder and questioning to let go of certainty on the non-essentials. I mean, we have clarified that there are some things we need to be unified around. Um, there's lots of bright spots. And I think the next generation, most especially, I think they're hungry for this. I think they are hustler, hustlers and like we're going to pursue this new way of thinking, but they are going to take their cues from us. So I'm so grateful that JD said, you know, he's thinking about this with the long game in mind because they're watching and they're listening and they're paying attention and they're either going to write us off or they're going to see what we model and move into a more winsome and compelling invitation to salvation and the fullness of the gospel if we get this right. Yeah, the week, if if we get it right, and by we, I assume you're saying we the leaders. It's, it's interesting to me that I think most of the division happens in the ideologues in the leadership roles, but they're not in the pews. I mean, I think some of the political stuff is, but as far as uh, theology and, and all that stuff, it's been fun for me to actually use a theology book and one of our experiences that I mentioned earlier called Leaders Made. And, um, and, and the book that I use uh, goes back and forth and shares different perspectives. And it's one of the more gracious. You don't have a theology book that's perfectly gracious to all sides that I know of, uh, but this one's fairly gracious. And most of the people, and these are very bright men and women who've been through these groups with me before. They run large companies. I mean, they're, they're, they're just astute. And they go, people argue over this stuff. <laughs> these are the real influencers that could really take communities, you know, uh, that are, that are the church. They don't just go to our church. They are the church. So, um, just seeing some of this, uh, happen in the leadership, I think will pick up strongly, uh, through the body, uh, as it goes out. So I'm excited. I am absolutely delighted you joined us today. Thank you for uh, sharing your time with us on this podcast. I, I have a sense that the joy that we've experienced here today, as well as the content of what we've talked about, will be both challenging and encouraging to folks uh, in a big, big way. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, JD and Dan and Carrie and Kevin. We get to see you again for one more on episode six. Take care. Blessings. This is a very important prioritization that Disciples made. We have intentionally chosen a minimal theological alignment, and we call it the Apostles' Creed. It's a creed that came out of the picture of baptism. It's a creed that came out as a statement of belief that every Christian had to make before they were baptized. And we train alongside of that creed. When we talk about systematic theology, we do welcome the distinctives but only in a way that teaches people how to live in the tension of those opposing views and growing through them. We want people to have a rich biblical support for what they believe, and we want them to be able to live in that tension instead of choosing a side, because quite often the gospel is found as you try to figure out what the scripture has to say from both of those sides. Another thing that we do is we choose to use books from a variety of authors that bring opposing views to the table in order to teach people how to think instead of telling people what to think. That's how we've come at it so far. We'll see you next time when we talk even more about how to make that shift going forward.